we do a fairly poor job of telling people what these tests actually mean to you and why they matter. Because it's not just about, you know, being able to sell your shit. Yes, that's the big part of it, but your process is going to have a breakdown. If the if you fail on some of these tests, it's because your process might have broken down. So for example, uh, water activity and moisture content, similar but very different things. Moisture content is the total amount of water in your product. Water activity is the amount of water that is available for microbial growth. So if you pass your water activity, but you fail your microbial tests, particularly mold, yeast or mold or whatever, that tells you it happened after your drying room. That's where your breakdown was. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Josh Smith, president of Telic Labs. Josh, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Great. And I'm always glad to be chatting with you guys. It's always a fun time. Absolutely. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Looking forward to, to chatting with Josh, who's in the Midwest, right? We decided it's not West Coast or East Coast. How are you, Brian? I'm doing good. I'm excited to figure out where Josh fits in on the map and kind of dive into some of his specifics and to hear more about the, the lab side of the industry. So, Josh, before we kind of dive into some of those areas, can you give a little background about you and how you got into the cannabis space? Yeah. So I'm uh, originally from uh, one of the Rust Belt holes. Um, I was Pennsylvania is what we like to say, but uh, it was two hours north of Pittsburgh. I grew up in, uh, if my dad didn't have hay, uh, hay fever, I would have been seventh generation on the same dairy farm way back when. And uh, I got out of that and moved, went to grad school and was uh, of all places, Wisconsin, and uh, ended up getting into clinical microbiology and did pharmaceutical R&D for 10 years. And then while I was shopping around and trying to get a patent that I'd put together, uh, licensed, uh, some people that I was kind of working with and talking to came up with a great idea to start a lab in this brand new cannabis industry. Originally, it was uh, focusing on the hemp and CBD space and decided because I was living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time, and I knew all about, uh, you know, some places where I could get relatively cheap rent and things like that. Plus, you know, my yearly permit was $100 rather than, as we all know, uh, the multi-thousands for everybody else. So it, that's kind of where we started. And now that was in 2018. And uh, just as of last December, the MRA made it official. So we just uh, purchased into a cannabis testing lab and Warren, Michigan, Abco Labs, and that's kind of where we're at. Well, congratulations on that. And so let's stay with uh, 2018. When you first got into the space, any hesitation about kind of diving into cannabis? And did you approach the industry kind of wide-eyed and kind of with big momentum thinking I can accomplish it and then have a big learning curve? Can you take us through that? Oh, 2018 was a shit show. (laughs) 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 To be absolutely, absolutely blunt. So coming from an industry, especially like a highly regulated one, such as uh, the clinical world and pharmaceuticals, their methods are established, done. Yeah, I mean, you have everything from the sample transport has been so characterized that every step of every stage 
has been not standardized, but at least has been characterized so you know what you're going to get. In 2018, there was no published anything for just about anything. And um, so we had to go through and literally design all our tests and our testing methods from scratch. Because, of course, no one else wants to tell you how they're doing it because, quote, trade secrets, which is not how that works. Because (laughs) if you ever get a test done at a hospital, like, for example, if you get a uh, diagnostic test for using PCR in a hospital, in the packet, you get your results. It tells you the exact sequence that was um, amplified, the exact probe sequence that was targeted, and exactly where at in each chromosome that gene is. And they will tell you everything about it. That's not the way it is in cannabis, as we all know. So we, I spent a lot of time digging through old FBI crime lab methods. And, kind of, and my lab director down in Madison, uh, Megan, we, we spent a lot of time doing through it. It was, and then of course was the, are you doing total THC? Are you doing Delta nine? Are you doing Delta, you know, THCA? Are you doing Are you drying it? Are you not drying it? How's this being done? And there was the Delta Knights only states. Oh God, it was a, just a mess. Was That'd it- be exciting, right? Because it's like you're pioneering like scientific research again, instead of just following instructions from someone 30 years ago. Right? I mean, they're kind of exciting a little bit. Well, yeah, right? no, that's actually a really good point. Um, when So when I was an undergrad, uh, that was when uh, Sanger sequencing first kind of really came in big. Like you could find people were publishing, a, they would send something in, sequence a gene, and publish paper. And no one knew what the hell the gene was, what it did, or anything about it, but they published it. Because it, they, they did it. It was, it, it was the, one of those big times and those big leaps where just you get this brand new technology. And I never thought I'd see something like that again. Now, with cannabis, you know, we have all this technology, but there's been 100 years of a gap in the science of it. And it is a wide open field. I've got a list of probably 35 papers that I would like to kind of work on for, you know, publishing like stability data and just all these different things. It's, it's insane how much is out there to be taken care of and run with. So it's exciting. It's very exciting. Is it daunting at the same time, though? It has to be kind of mildly Absolutely. daunting, especially when you're starting off, right? There's there's so many obstacles and so many paths for you to kind of proceed. And then when you start and you're used to kind of the highly regulated space where you know there's a path forward, there's instructions, there's details, and you go to open up the space and you're like, where's my reference? Yeah, it, it's daunting. I, at heart, even though I've spent a lot of time in the, in the highly, you know, in the clinical side and... I am, I'm actually an R&D guy at heart. Like that to me is fun. Like sitting down, developing the new thing and this uh, assay development is actually one of my fortes. Um, so it's one side just daunting for the sheer list of things that needs done. So like every, t- it's that to-do list that once you check off that one box, all of a sudden you've got 10 others that spawn off of it that you need to fit into. And it, it can seem overwhelming and I can, it, it definitely, there are days, but overall, I think it's a very exciting and fun industry to be in. Absolutely. So let's talk about kind of the exchange with the industry and how those conversations take place. Can you take us through, let's say, a normal or standard interaction? 
you get approached by, let's say, an operator who's interested in the test. Can you kind of take us through a standard conversation? It's going to vary between your states. First biggest stepping stone is, do you, does the lab have to go and pick up samples? Or can you, on the like, such as in the CBD side, can somebody mail it to your lab in a box kind of thing? So usually when somebody comes in, they're like, oh, I want to do this. I need a full panel test. Okay, well, what state and what's your full panel? Because that's going to change. Thank you. Thank you, states, for not making that standard. Um, and then, <laughs> well, also to throw it in there, for the love of God, can somebody at the state level, when you're adding on microbial tests, ask a microbiologist before you pick the test? Oh, that's too hard. Please, please, please do. Total aerobic is a worthless test. It is a completely worthless test. It tells you nothing except your space was dirty. That's it. There's a lot of stuff there. So <laughs> as you're going through it, you know, there, there's all sorts of little guidelines, but it's like, okay, well, what's your sampling amount? How are you sampling things? And every single person that I've ever spoken to, the first thing they ask is, what is your turnaround time on your results? Hands down, that is the big question. Some places that's regulated, uh, for example, Michigan, if you, for your microbial results, you have to do plating for total yeast to mold, and it requires, and you're mandatory to hold it for 72 hours for it to grow up. You can't just do PCR, which by the way, a total yeast to mold PCR, anytime you enrich a sample, that's a no-go. You cannot quantitate after an enrichment. So little micro nod there. And then eventually price comes up. It really depends on your local area and how badly they need it and want it to turn around. But for the most part, well, it's been a while since I've had somebody call up and ask me uh, how much to get the COA that they want, but uh, they happen fairly regularly. The big thing that I have seen, especially in the more unregulated side on the hemp and CBD, uh, you know, the Delta-8, uh, THCO, all of those things, is please God, guys learn how to sample properly Two uh, one, two gram bud does not mean the same. It's not going to cover a 50 acre field. Two but if it's the highest potency part of the plant and that's one plant, yeah. but if it's the best plant, an accurate representation of the population, it is absolutely not. I'm on IOAC and ASTM committees to help <laughs> put that together. And, uh, and actually, I think one's out to ballot now for the ASTM. But this plant is so variable. As we all know, the difference in bud size from top to bottom, right? But actually, there's been papers that show even from the farthest out on the plant uh, limbs to closer to the main stalk, it changed, your percentages will change drastically all over. And then plant to plant variability is just crazy. This isn't like corn where you can just say, Oh, nope, 120 days to harvest. You're going to get all sorts, depending on your nutrient levels, your, you know, your local environment, your brain, your outdoors, your indoors. It's so variable And hell. Even if you're tracking a field, I always tell people, if you're one of those, if you're going to go the hemp and CBD route, make sure you pick a sacrificial plant. And that is the only plant that you test for to monitor for your THC production. Because if you pick different plants, it will kill you. 
because you will never get the exact same amount and the same, you'll never know and you'll probably miss it. Which also, if it is in the field and it's a CBD plant, it will go hot. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. So I want to stay on the full panel real quick. So let's say an operator approaches you and let's say in a certain state, they might not need a full panel testing, but obviously it should be encouraged. And do you, is it on you to kind of work back and forth with the operator and encourage them to take the additional test? Like, how does that fit? Because at the end of the day, right, if, if there's an end product that's going to be consumed by an individual, we want to make sure that it's safe. And, and there's got to be some sort of like- uh, Isn't that required? Well, it depends on your state. So hemp and CBD side- the, and this is also includes the Delta 8, and except for very, very few states. The only thing that is required is that it is below 0.3% total THC. That is it. So, and that is usually just the plants in the field. This usually doesn't even go anywhere near the processors. So if you're in the hemp and CBD side, you really don't have to do anything. Um, so from what I've seen in the lab directors that I trust across the U.S., I've never seen, a, well, sorry, I've seen one legal Delta-8 sample ever. Usually it's somewhere around 7% Delta-9. I actually yeah. don't think it's shelf-stable. No, it's not. We've had conversations with pharmaceutical chemists who say that it readily isomerizes over um, yeah. just in the presence of like any moisture at all, right? So if you just have like moisture in the air, it'll grab a proton and instantly isomerize over. That's what we've been told for sense. sure. So that literally explains the, the results that you're seeing. Well, the, I would also throw out here too. Have you ever played? Have you ever got your hands on the uh, like an isolate or uh, sorry, the concentrated delta eight? It's like taffy. Yeah, it is so prompt. So in order to get it in the carts, you got to heat it, and then you're exploiting it. Okay, and you're also shipping it other, you know, in unheated trucks and, you know, all these cars. Wait, you don't think they have really stable environmentally shipping conditions? <laughs> or anything. And then you also have, they're all clear tubes as well. I mean, so you're not even keeping them out of the UV light, which breaks yeah. things down even remotely. So do you feel uh, like a sense of responsibility though? Cause it's gotta be kind of challenging for you where you know you're doing the tests here or they're not doing tests and you're trying to kind of, encourage them to take additional steps. Is that a really conflicting balance for you? Yes. Because <laughs> uh, it is a business, right? Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, and every time somebody fails a test, there's a good chance they won't use you anymore until there's some, uh, until states start cracking down on labs and actually making sure that they aren't doing sh funny, shady shit. Um, yeah. But I like to tell people that, I understand that it costs a lot of money for a test. I mean, in the scheme of things, like in, is it a lot when you're actually looking at anything else? No, you know, your 500 bucks a batch for your test is, or for your batch of marijuana. In the scheme of things, it's low on the totem pole, but it's an added cost, right? From the, on the hemp and CBD side where CBD prices are horrible, I really understand that. I think they're starting to climb back up, but I mean, I, I get it. What I usually will tell people is do what you can. If you're trying to do it right, you can always do one and then break it down. Like if you are making concentrator, you got to distillate. Just get a full panel of the distillate once. Then any your carts that are coming down from that, you can always point to that distillate COA and say, look, I had it done here. You know, we only did it for here. Like some states mandate what you can do or not. But you know, occasionally you run into things like in Michigan in 2019, 
the concentrates were testing fine, but the shoddy vape hardware that people were packaging them in was giving people cadmium poisoning, nickel poisoning, pretty much one. And then the other problem is that you have all these people that are trying to skimp on costs, but as soon as federalization comes through, they're going to be so shell-shocked when the testing requirements come through from the FDA and the USDA that they need to start getting preparing themselves for that kind of thing. Why do you, you think know, they're going to be shell-shocked? The, especially the FDA side. They do not like to reinvent the wheel. They are a government agency. And, you know, you start looking at stability and expiration dates, right? Any consumer packaged good has to have an expiration date. on. Well, if you want to do that properly, that proper stability study is going to cost you 10 to 20 grand per SKU. They're also going to require actual beginning, middle, and end of batch or end of lot batch testing. And that E. coli, salmonella, aspergillus is going to turn from three into about 15 to 20, and it's you're going to be your full foodborne panel. So you can do compound selecting, you can do compound batch testing. I mean, it, it happens in other like meat packing industry, right? They'll they'll take samples from various batches and lots and they will compound them into a bigger sample. So you can get a lower li- limited detection. You don't have to test as much. But all these guys that are thinking they're going to get away with just a $30 potency test better start planning because it's going to get expensive. And it's going to knock out some, I mean, there are probably going to be grandfathered in rules. You know, if you're just set yourself up like a food grade kitchen, get ready for it. Because as long as you're trying, a lot of times they do kind of give you some leeway. But, you know, if you're not heading towards GMP, which requires all of that batch testing and lot testing and all that, you're going to get left in the dust. Yeah. And I think future-proofing your company, right? I mean, we are aware that this is the testing that occurs in other consumer packaged good industries, right? So like building those into your your cash flow statement or Mm -hmm. your balance sheet, right? From a business perspective and understanding that you're going to incur those costs. Future proof is your, future proofs your organization, right? From a, a COGS perspective. So you may not be paying them now and you may be experiencing higher margins, but like that's what working with someone like you, Josh, can provide in an operator, right? Is they can open up this dialogue and be like, okay, when it is fully certified and say it's federally legal, you have that experience from your past life. And so like that's a huge advantage working with someone like you, correct? I like to think so anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of those things, and I like to say, and I like to tell the people that we're a partner. Like we're all in this industry together. Yes. I mean, I've. I mean, I jumped into the industry too. And if everybody fails, we all go under. Like, yeah. you know, so I mean, I'm not I'm not the cops. I'm here to keep you honest for what you're saying it is, but I'm not the cops. I, w- I want to help as much as possible. You know, if something comes up, you know, I can help possibly narrow it down or give you those tools you need. And, you know, there's always ways to work around things and to help out. It, it really comes down to, are you trying to be shady and do it on the you know, just make a quick buck or are you trying to do the right thing? And, you know, like we started offering environmental samples. So like there's multiple things you can do at various stages of the industry. Like, so if you're just setting up your green room or your row rooms and your clean rooms and all that, you can actually have uh, labs. Some of them offer it, some of them don't uh, go in and do environmental samples. So you can check your, you know, mold counts in your clean rooms 
before you put anything in, you know, to make sure you have it set up right or your sterilization processes are working right. You know, what a concept, making sure it's clean before you move it. (laughs) Is there someone in particular you wish heard that, Callan? (laughs) No, but I mean, it's it's so crazy because this is really important. Like people don't think of these things when they when they jump feet first into this kind of industry because they're excited, you know? Yeah. yeah. Turns cool. out dirty material in, dirty material out. Garbage in, garbage <laughs> out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shit in, shit out. Yeah. We all have to do with, uh, you know, and a lot of these guys, like especially from the CBD side and the crash in 2019, you know, corn prices suck. Soybean prices suck. I mean, everybody's just looking for a way to dairies tanks. You know, they're they're trying to make a buck to keep their farms alive. And this was a good cash crop. They, so, but they all jumped in, got taken advantage of by a bunch of guys that had, were selling them bullshit seed that tested hot instantly. You know, these guys, they didn't know what questions to ask. So I spend probably not as much anymore, but it used to be about half of my day every day would be education, talking to some client, some new farmer, a new grow or whatever. And just walking through steps with them because it, there's so many, the learning curve on all sides is so steep right away that, you know, if you take it some time and think about these things up ahead, it saves you so much time. But also too, I mean, it's, there's some pretty specialized industry areas in this. Like, you know, you can tell a lot of the cannabis industry has been chemists, especially on the lab side until now. Having a micro background has really kind of given me interesting viewpoints in this because there's you can tell who was making the rules besides politicians that didn't know or just told what to put in. Um. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I really enjoyed in our conversations is the value add in, in the exchange of the relationship with, let's say, your lab and the operator. So, for example, if an operator, you know, passed you off a sample and it tested for pesticides and I gave the example as that, but I know in the past, you've kind of worked through back with the operator on how to diagnose that problem. And I'd love for you to share more about that. Yeah, that was actually kind of where I was going to lean into from that last. So I, I'll just, I'll just rattle off the, t- uh, the test as I'm going through and you can tell me when to shut up and move on to the next step. Yeah. So we'll start with uh, potency. Usually most people are doing this on an HPLC. Sometimes it's on a gas chromatogram. When you hear that weird funky conversion rate on it, that 0.877 from an HPLC for the total, that's actually to make it in line with GC gas chromatograms mass specs. So when you inject something into a gas chromatogram, it will instantly decarb your THCA into Delta 9. So you will not see any acid form of anything. And it's just about 88% effect. Yeah, right about 88% efficiency. So when you take something from an HPLC, you have to do that 87% conversion to get them to be equal so that it will match up with crime labs. You also can occasionally see things on your HPLC, your potency, where certain food dyes and certain other compounds can mask your potency numbers. Some orange dyes seem to cut your potency in about half. Also, I've seen some flavorings for whatever God knows reason I've seen strawberry flavoring in beverages cut potency levels. Can you, you know why? Can you lean into that a little bit? What like can you explain what that means? So, yeah, so basically the orange dye, so an HPLC, when you run it through it, actually it, it's a liquid column. So high pressure liquid chromatography, which basically means 
you take a sample, add it into liquid, and put it through a long column that selects for it by size, time, charge, whatever. And so you'll get these peaks at certain, they're called retention times. Well, there's also the detector on it. So you're running at a UV is one detector. So you're running at 220 nanometers usually, somewhere in there. There's very 228, blah, blah. Uh, if you hear a PDA or a DAD, which is a diode array detector, or uh, that means you can get a range of wavelengths. That's preferable because it has a secondary confirmation because all your cannabinoids have different peaks. But um, for whatever reason, at certain wavelengths of light, these dyes will mask and overshadow or under light up certain cannabinoids. So orange dye or some orange dyes are known to do this. This is also why uh, there's such a problem with getting accurate potency numbers of chocolate because it masks, I think it's the fats in it, but they mask kind of the true potency number. So it's that one was a bitch. So it could out. be higher. The potency actually could be higher than what the, the number shows or it could be lower. Yes. A little both. Uh, it depends on your, it depends on which one it is, but yeah, with the, especially with the, uh, the chocolate, it's usually the potency will be higher, but there's also uh, sunflower lecithin was somebody was making a gummy with sunflower lecithin as their binder. And they were coming up about a third short of their potency numbers that they thought they're like, I'm putting it in. I literally watched them put it into a batch calculations, math, everything looked right. I could not get a full extraction on it. I could not get that number. And it always came in about a third low, just whether it was being bound up or who the hell knows. But so if your potency numbers aren't coming out the way they're supposed to, especially in your edibles, look at your formulations and try subtracting some of those ingredients from your, uh, from your formulations first, because it might actually, you might be fine and perfectly good, but the, where your lab is getting things tested or where you're testing things at that lab, they might be using a technology that is masked by your ingredients. This is also why you should always have a backup lab. Always. Do operators have internal tests in order to kind of validate the results or to, in order to like do some of those internal testings that you're talking about? You can, and there are ways to do it. But for example, a cheap HPLC UV is going to run you somewhere around 30 to 40 grand. Um, these certified reference standards that I buy are about a thousand bucks a month. And, um, you know, you st- then you have to do your annual maintenance, preventative maintenance contract, which is 5% of your purchase price every year. Probably need a some semi-intelligent human to make sure that it's giving you accurate and precise results. And I mean, this is exactly where, and then you factor in the fact that none of these companies have access to traditional financing. Right. And so like all of these create this, this kind of like mutual synergistic relationship that's required. So like not only are third-party testing labs providing like safety and efficacy testing Mm -hmm. for the consumer, but you're almost also serving as like a, a pseudo R&D lab for yeah. operators. You know what and I actually, mean? And a lot of times, like for metric stuff, like we will, you can do R&D, you know, not officially in the system, right? And we're all about that. I would love, I've helped worked with, a lot, especially on the CBD side, but, you know, I've worked with quite a number of companies and operators and processors that they're looking to perfect a system. 
you know, there are ways if you're actually if you want to do potency on your own and you are looking for a good way to do it, buy a GCFID, which is a gas chromatogram flame ionization detector. You can get them for dirt cheap, you know, like five, six grams. You and they're very easy to service. There's almost nothing to break on them. And it doesn't take rocket science to run them. And you just know that if you do that. You're going to have to do all the background. You're going to have to make sure it's working properly. You're going to have to do all of the steps that we do normally. And, but it's also not going to be the official test. So you can do in-house testing, but it still has to go out for compliance as, as it should. I mean, yeah. you shouldn't be able to do your own compliance testing. I mean, it's, that's a little bit of a conflict of interest. You don't trust me? <laughs> do you, do you trust I, I swear, me? I swear. <laughs> No, it's always 99%. I swear. <laughs> I'm from a place where banjos play. I don't trust anybody. <laughs> so, Josh, um, staying on that topic, is yeah. potency still king? As of right now, it is. It shouldn't be, but it is. What should be king? Okay, there's a two-part answer to this, and that still ties back in with what you were saying or with a different test. So, there have been studies done and that show 16 to 18% potency is the sweet spot. Anything above that seems to max out your receptors. You just get there faster is basically what happens from these papers. You know, there's all sorts of anecdotal stuff. And quite frankly, until I see it in a journal, you know, it's, does it lead me to believe certain things? Yes, but until you can prove it, uh, there's also, whenever you take a blind judging and you don't show them the COAs firsthand, a 16 to 18% will win hands down as long as it's got a good terpene profile. And really, when it comes down to it, and this is my take on it, terpenes are the most undervalued, underutilized test that you can get. It is your marketing. It is absolutely, hands down, that is your marketing. When you go to a dispensary nowadays, and you, the consumer cannot actually, they're, most of them are uneducated, right? They know I'm going to buy some pot, and I want to get high. That's all they know. So they just go for the highest THC because they want the most for their money. But look at alcohol. You can buy grain alcohol, moonshine, but most people don't because it tastes like ass. <laughs> it's, that's really what it is. People want to go for a good barrel-aged whiskey with all those flavors and aromas. You know, Talk to any IPA drinker and hear about your bricks, your hop, your IBUs, the, the five different types of hops that they pulled out of some German's backyard. You know, I mean, the whole thing. And this comes down to also when, as the industry grows and federalization comes in and the big boys come in, your Winston-Salem, your Anheuser-Busch kind of type people, they're going to beat you on potency. They can mass produce like mad you got to take the small craft, brewery craft, winery route if you're going to survive because you cannot beat them on their margins. It's You cannot. They're just too big. Their economy of scale is too far gone. So take those terpene profiles and treat it just like whenever you go to the liquor store and you go to buy a bottle of wine and they have those little description cards sitting there. That is what you need to do and that's how you sell it to your people. You know, take notes of... You know, if it's limonene, pinene, and nerosine, you know, citrus flavor and aroma with hints of, you know, X, Y, Z and a peppery finish, right? You know, a piney notes and a peppery finish. There you go. 
that will give you something. I have a friend that used to work as a liquor distributor in a liquor distributor, and he said as soon as they put those cards up, sales of that wine went through the roof. But it's because people, even if it's wrong, because most of those labels are bullshit. He even said he's like most of these are just somebody typed those up. You know, it's the monkey and Shakespeare kind of thing. Um, is that even though they could be wrong, it still gives somebody something to think about. You know, I actually knew somebody that was planning on taking a gummy and um, with no THC in it and adding the exact blend of terpenes that was in his flower and then giving that to bud tenders so that they could give that to them and say, hey, this is an approximate, this is the terpene profile of this bud here. Try it. See if you like it. Just another way to kind of think. But Really, that's where the education is going to come down the road. I mean, really, that, to me, is the test. I mean, that is the one that makes you the mind. What is one concept or statistic that an industry operator wouldn't know from your experience operating a lab? <laughs> I don't think we got enough time for all of that. Um, <laughs> I'll go with the, with the easiest one. Um, if you grow outside, you will fail yeast and mold. Hands down. Also, on the CBD side, if you're going to be below 0.3%, 10% CBD is your max. It's at that point, it's math. So anybody, anytime you go to a CBD shop and you see 20% CBD on that flower, that's marijuana. <laughs> what areas do you see growing in, in testing importance over the next five years? Couple. Actually, I'll spin this back to those tests and what they mean. And I'll run through these really quick. Pesticides are simple, right? But be careful if you're testing semi-high for a pesticide and you don't use them, it could be because it's your clones. Mycobutanol is famous, is known for this. Whereas if you have it in your clones, it will propagate through and you'll never test positive. Um, I do think the just general, the the specific test, I think you're going to see those panels grow. And for things like heavy metals, so if you're seeing lead, your water filters are going bad. Chances are it's not in your soil. It's, it's most likely bad pipes in your water. Uh, arsenic, have you been, are you growing in rock wool? If you have, check your lot numbers because sometimes they source from volcanic places and you're going to get higher arsenic in your, uh, in your rock wool. Also, if you got rat traps anywhere else in your uh, grow room, you could be picking up the arsenic from it. Uh, I don't know. Have you guys ever... Have you, in a lab, have you ever uh, played around with uh, some of the equipment? Like, do you know what an ICPMS is? Yeah, I ran an ICPMS for two or three years doing uranium and plutonium analysis. So I'm very familiar with all the heavy metals. You don't think, uh, you're not going to say don't use a mercury thermometer. <laughs> That's the one where honestly, like, I'm like, we're really testing for mercury right now. Like, like what? Yeah, I mean, I understand it's very dangerous, right? Like, that's a, that's a heavy metal, right? But, like, if we're going to throw my soil test for the rain, what else is dangerous, right? Like, God, what? I, All I right, that's why I had to do. just one little soapbox moment. Oh, right? no, like, no, no. Really? I agree with you. Like, I was, I still remember in grade school, I actually had a teacher that would, we could poke it around with, on the desk with our finger, you know. Nowadays, that's full hazmat places yeah, shut down. down. <laughs> um, sure. But like mercury, that's that's going to be in your soil, right? I mean, that's maybe. Awesome. maybe soil or water. Most of the time, you shouldn't see it. I mean, there's going to be there. But like for those of you out there that don't know what an ICPMS is, 
It's inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometer. Basically, a gigantic plasma welding torch hooked up to a mass spec. That's really all it is. It's a very, very, very fancy one. But, you know, it's a hillbilly socket set. So, like, uh, nickel, cadmium. And this is actually an example from that I just had. Oh, my dad was a machinist uh, after he got off the farm and uh, for about 30 years. And the only reason I picked up on this, and I'm actually going to be running some tests to kind of narrow down and prove this the other day, but we had somebody that tested the positive for nickel and cadmium, tested hot on their CBD flower. And it's like, I ran the soil tests beforehand. There's nothing in there. It's all good. But he had a brand new busker. And his trimming machine that he brought in, uh, he had rented from somebody. Well, a lot of times when you, nickel and cadmium is usually from the finishes they put on stainless steel or, and or other machinery. So when you get a brand new piece of machinery, even if you clean it out, especially something that violently breaks things off, after you clean it thoroughly, you want to actually run some garbage through it. Things you're never going to touch, you're just going to throw away, burn, whatever. Because there are little pieces and little burrs and little nicks on a brand new piece of machinery that need to be cleaned off. They get dulled off. And if you don't run through something that just takes that beating, those shavings, those pieces, that dust is going to be on your product. And so it will then show up in your tests. So I'm 99% sure that's what this person was having because he had a brand new busking machine. So how is he supposed to know that though? Like how? I mean, like, it's the same know? reason your mom makes you wash the shirt after you buy it, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but when your mom's not there to do that. I know, right? Now you're like, an adult. <laughs> but, well, Brian, I mean, a lot of times, this is this is why I chat with the labs. I mean, we'll help you. And, and, and we don't, we do a fairly poor job of telling people what these tests actually mean to you and why they matter. Because it's not just about, you know, being able to sell your shit. Yes, that's that's the big part of it, but your process is going to have a breakdown. If the if you fail on some of these tests, it's because your process might have broken down. So, for example, uh, water activity and moisture content, similar but very different things. Moisture content is the total amount of water in your product. Water activity is the amount of water that is available for microbial growth. So, if you pass your water activity but you fail your microbial tests, particularly mold, Easter mold or whatever, that tells you it happened after your drying room. That's where your breakdown was. It could be in your storage. It could be, you know, I've seen total coliforms on, in the dry, coming from the drying room, but it was because they were using those mesh webbing drying net things. And it's just like a sponge. One, they're good until they're not. You know, they tell you never put a sponge through the dishwasher because it only gets nastier faster. It's the same exact thing. No matter how much, if it's porous, you can only clean off the surface. You will never get the bacteria that have migrated into the surface. How many people get that result from you and understand exactly where to pinpoint, let's say out of 100? Well, I would say mostly because now I'm the one explaining it to them after they call them. But hypothetically, though, if, if like, if, let's say out of 100 people, they get the results from you, how many of those 100 would know where to start and where to focus on? Like, 10%. Yeah. 10%? 10%, maybe. Especially on the bacterial stuff. 
you know, if it's yeast and mold, it is almost always your HEPA filters and your ventilation are going bad. It looks like you're like, where's Waldo, right? He's like, where do I even start? He's like, well, this is quite a problem we have now. Well, and a lot of times, it's all about your airflow. Think about, I mean, think about like when you're, if you grow tomatoes, right? It, they tell you to take the leaves off the bottom of the plant so that you can get airflow back and forth. Otherwise, you get blight and mold growth. Same thing with cannabis. Look at your grow rooms with the fans on. Are there dead spots? Because your overall room might be getting enough airflow, but those dead spots aren't. They're going to have microclimates. So the, the, if they're, they're also going to be higher humidity. And so those plants can infect other plants. Also, it's best if really all you, what you should do is buy a $15 anemometer off of Amazon. A cheap one works just fine, just to give an idea, and check in various spots around your grow rooms. And then also, too, don't buy from a cannabis vendor. You don't want to pay the cannabis tax. Go to a cheap farm supply company. Get one of those gigantic-ass fans that they use to blow up and down the uh, barn aisles and put that in your grow room at pot level, not at canopy level, pot level. So you can get more airflow through your plants as they're growing rather than just coming in from the top. That will help with your yeast and mold problems. So at, for tests, as things grow and where I see things expanding, plant-wise, I think that you're going to see a lot more yeast and mold being tested for. You're going to have people starting to pick up on like hop latent viroid, which we test for. It's a, it's an RNA piece, CR, which RNA is a pain in the ass in grad school. And my first job out of grad school, you would mark off with tape your corner if you're doing RNA work. And then if anybody walked near it, you'd shoot them because it was the only way to be sure <laughs> that they would never touch your stuff. And because RNAs are everywhere, they break down everything. And it's such a pain in the ass to work with. Um, but uh, you're going to see as we characterize the plant more and we find out what we should actually be testing for. Because, you know, in, here in flyover country and up in the Rust Belt, you're going to look at for different microbials than you would in the desert, you know, in Arizona, in California, in Tennessee, and they're all going to be different. And so that's going to change to be a more regional thing. Uh, the consumer packaged goods side I mean, that's going to increase on your microbials, hands down. You're going to be looking at a 15 to 20 foodborne panel, just like in every other industry under the sun. I mean, that little Debbie cake off the corner, you know, off the, you know, the gas station shelf goes through a huge testing regimen that we're going to have to adapt to because the feds aren't going to change things. Um, I think from my standpoint as a cannabis lab, I think focusing on it being strictly cannabis is the wrong move. Um, psychedelics are next. You're not planning for them. You're going to get left behind. I also think you're going to start seeing the other drugs coming up. Personally, I think the psychedelics are going to go legal before federally before marijuana and cannabis. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Hot take right there. That. <laughs> yes, sir. Take a, take a look at who is spending the money on psychedelic research. It's a lot of money. It's all coming from the VA or the Department of Defense. They For want PTSD it. PTSD treatment. And non-treatable depression. Or, yeah. So that's why it's going to go federally legal first. All right. Well, you're on the record. So well, well <laughs> done there. And that will live. I will be happy to be wrong on that one. But, um, you know, with 
with that, though, then we're going to have to do this whole thing again, right? It's going to be 2018 all over again. How do you get your psilocybin, your psilocin, all the different other uh, molecules that people are aiming for? Then you're going to be typing these things. I mean, no, I mean, you can grow them, but no one's actually gone through and characterized them. Fungi are a pain in the ass. So now you're going to have to be able to type and strain type all of these. They're also soil remediators. So you're going to have to do your heavy metals, your pesticides, your antibiotics. Anything that is in that growth media will be in that mushroom. And they have synergistic relationships with bacteria too, right? Like that's a symbiosis. Symbiosis, that's what I was looking for. Yep, and uh, your contamination will be bacteria. So you're going to have to do all the same microbial testing for it. So, you know, it's going to be the Wild West for a little bit as that gets settled in. But I think we're just used to living in the Wild West at this point, right? (laughs) We are the Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, but I think, you know, and then you're going to be, I mean... Ketamine, ayahuasca, ibogaine, you know, and then I still think you're going to start seeing all the other ones as they start. You have some states and some countries that just decriminalize all of it. You know, if you're not planning Uruguay. and Portugal. Oh, yeah, Portugal, too. That's right. I forgot. I always like, forget about that one. I think isn't in Oregon and Washington basically just decriminalize everything. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. I mean, <laughs> one step at a time. One step yeah. at a time. But I mean, that's. That's the future, and I don't think that's too far down. Now, do I think it's going to be full recreational psychedelics right away? No. I think it's going to be a lot more like consumption lounges kind of thing. But Josh, there's people here in the United States who think if you smoke cannabis, your kids will die. So, like, yeah. I I mean, what you're talking about, and we're, we need to go from, let's say, United States standpoint. I am hopeful. There is, there is Brian lives in New York, and they still haven't figured out how to sell legal cannabis in New York. By the time this drops, hopefully we've done it. No, there's no chance. Uh, no, there's no Wisconsin chance. doesn't even have a medical program yet, so I can't say much there. I don't know. The whole, the whole drug industry, you're right. There's a lot to be, remain seen, and it's going to be exciting. But I think your poise and I think the educational yes. direction you're doing is so, so important. And I know, I believe, a lot of those conversations are likely challenging because operators are looking at you more as, like an, as an unnecessary evil versus a value add in the relationship. Yeah. And I think hearing these insights are so important and I would encourage operators to take that approach and to speak to people like yourself to align more with the end direction so that you guys can work in synergy moving forward. So I got two final questions and then we've got your prediction. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what is the biggest misconception? Surprisingly, that hemp and CBD is still cannabis. Like people don't put together that it's all the same plant. You know, it's just... One is like, it's like petunias. One's got a blue flower, one's got a red flower. I mean, they're the exact same plant. And that was a good description. I haven't heard it. That was really good. I like that. Petunias. I'll remember that one. I like the same, same, but different. Yeah, Yeah, same, same, but different. (laughs) Like when I talk to people now, I try to say high THC and low THC cannabis. Smart. Try to to move things that way. you know, that would freak people out here in New York. I think would. a majority of people would be like, I understand. Am I going to get high or not? And you're like, that's not really the threshold yeah. for a thing. All right. If you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? If you're just looking to jump into this industry to make a buck, don't. You, especially if you're looking to start your own business. And I mean, this is kind of the whole thing. You know, if you're just looking to start a business to make money, there's always 
easier ways to do it, right? But especially in a play in a in a, uh, industry that is still growing this much, that regulations can change on a dime from state to state. You know, you really got to have a strong stomach, and you really, really got to have to want to be in this industry. Otherwise, it's going to chew you up and spit you out really quick. <laughs> Really well said. Yeah. All right. Prediction time. Josh, I've dropped you off in Washington, D.C. You're in charge of everything right now. You can implement, change, or influence any one policy to help move the cannabis industry forward. What would you change? Deschedule it. Hands down. That's it. You want to make things easier? Deschedule it completely. Because if you put it into where they were talking about it, moving the schedule two, that puts it into the pharmaceutical industry. And then, you know, they've already got this figured out. So who's they? Or I haven't figured out. Uh, a few pharma places. So I, I, I'm not going to name names on this one, but you can look this one up pretty quick. I, if, if I were in pharma and still, and I were looking to jump on this train, which everybody expects them to be doing, they don't want to deal with plants. They don't want to deal with farmers. They don't want to deal with any of the inconsistencies. If I was going to do it, I would do it just like they do insulin. I would clone the machinery, the genetic machinery for creating cannabinoids and do a yeast vector, which I could then put into a 5,000 liter fat fermenter, grow it up to a, a, a massive cell density, toss in an induction molecule, and then spin out the yeast. And I have almost completely 100% pure cannabinoid. There are two companies now that are multi-billion dollar lawsuits for that exact technology because it finally came out. Fighting over the, the synthesis right now, right? That's what they're doing? They're fighting over the use vector. <laughs> One was a British company partnered in the U.S. And I think the other one was a Canadian company partnered in the U.S. Yeah, Altria owns one of them. I'll so, drop the names. <laughs> I mean, metabolic engineering is like a little heartstring you just plucked for me because oh, no, yeah, that was yeah. my that was my background, right? Is metabolic engineering. So oh gotcha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that's that's how I do it. And they did it. So again, with that whole trying to compete with those guys, you're not going to because they can the amount, the cost for them to produce that single vat is a tenth or less of what it costs you to have a growth for everything. So they are going to beat you. Do you think that helps drive down the end price of these products? Like, do you think that the consumer ultimately wins in some areas on there because the price decreases or you think it kind of levels out and their margin just raises? Uh, well, it, because it's pharma, they're going to lock it under a patent and they're going to keep the price high forever on that one. Um, and I say this lovingly coming from pharma. Uh, and a guy with a few patents. Um, well, Kelly you know, hates you now. <laughs> oh, that was a pain in the ass. Um, that process, four years, I think, for me, for the one of them. Um, but eventually, yes, that will bring prices down. But this is where the entourage effect, this is where the terpenes, this is where all those other molecules that are part of that plant come into effect. Again, if you want a good uh, comparison, You've got your 100-proof barrel-aged 12-year whiskey with all of those extra notes and aromas. You know, the experience where you add that drop of water to really let the oils bloom 
compared to hams, PBR, Bud Light. You know, in Wisconsin, we all we call them mineral water. You know, it's it's shit and it gets the job done, but you're not enjoying the process very often, right? I think it was the founder of Dogfish Brewing like to say that if you can't drink your beer warm, it's shit beer. I can drink a warm PBR on a river, though. I'm just <laughs> on a river is one thing, though. And if well, that's your only option, or Rhineland, a, or uh, you know, I, wait over in New York, you you might have American over there, or Iron City. I'm sure you've seen. Keystone, Keystone, the black, you know, Beast. There you go. We'll go with Beast. That's a good universal one. Milwaukee's best. It is horrible. It tastes like garbage. It tastes like it's warm all the time. Well, thanks. It for may not be the best. Thanks for Milwaukee's best. Milwaukee's best. So, Josh, for our listeners who want to get in touch, they've got questions and they want to know how you can help them. Where can they reach you? Uh, either at teliclabs.com. That's T-E-L-I-C-L-A-B-S.com. Uh, my email address is just jsmith at teleglabs.com. Um, and... I spend my days between Madison and Detroit. So kind of it's a crapshoot to find me in person, but most likely it'll be in Detroit for a while. Awesome. Hopefully I'll also be on uh, presenting at the analytical cannabis Northern uh, North American expo here in a couple of weeks. And uh, anytime you guys want to bother having me back on, I'm sure I can find me around. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we we'll will. definitely do that. Thanks so much for your time, Josh. Only get all in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.